0: Greetings and welcome to the latest edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast, produced in collaboration with the BJSM. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Wessels, and I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Margot Petukian. Dr. Patukian is a chief medical officer for Major League Soccer and a past president of the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. She's a former director of athletic medicine and head team physician for Princeton University. Thanks for being here, Dr. Patukian.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: My second guest is Dr. Siobhan Statuta. She's a team physician at the University of Virginia and the program director for the University of Virginia Primary Care Sports Medicine Fellowship and a team physician for US Women's Soccer. Thanks for coming in today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, today we have an excellent topic and we're talking about the one of the position statements released by the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, our position statement on mononucleosis and athletic participation. So this is a, a lot of work to put one of these together. Can you tell me more about about this position statement and how, how you got to re-up it, or how, how did they approach you about this?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the position statement on Mono was actually the first position statement that AMSSM ever ever had. And during my presidency year with AMSSM, I think we were at a point, that was 2004 or 2005, um, we were at a point in, the, in our organization where, you know, we, we had been around for a little bit, and I think during my presidential address, I said, you know, we're an organization now. People know who we are. And now they need to know what we think. And so one of the things that, that then we spearheaded was the position statement on mono. And we chose that because it, it's a topic that most primary care sports medicine physicians are very comfortable with. And then making the return to play decisions made the, made the most sense, right? So we chose that as a topic and created that that Position statement. It took a couple of years for yeah. that to actually get get published, and 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 then you know the AMSSM board and the publications committee they review the uh, position statements, and so they came to me maybe ooh, two three years ago and said, you know, we want to we want to look at this again, and um, so I ended up choosing as a co chair Chris McGrew uh-huh. who was on the previous document, and then we we put out the bid to see who else would be good um good co-authors for the systematic review so that's kind of how it started
0: yeah that's neat so is that how how, how you got involved with it Dr. it Saga? is
1: it is somehow i made the cut <laughs> Nice. <laughs>
0: so
2: this is my first position statement and it was a really wonderful experience getting to collaborate and it was also during the time of covid so mm. um, it allowed us to do zoom calls and so we could continue to make progress and um i guess not so much reliance on in-person meetings and, and whatnot. So, um, very fun and cool experience. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: so, I think people know from some of the other talks I've gone to how long some of these can take. Was this uh, was this a long process to do this type of thing? Since you already had one, you know, done. You're updating it, or or was it like starting over?
1: Uh, no, it was interesting because I think in many ways, you know, the coming up with the writing group. It really was important that we included members. From different components of the AMSSM uh, and then we also inc- included an, an outside um, individual who was a, a sonographer hmm. or you know, radiologist oh, nice. um, and so we were able to include um, her expertise in the paper as well but you know we had individuals from the um, AMSSM membership at large and then also the diversity special interest group oh, nice. uh, and the women in leadership group so that was sort of important. And we also included a, a librarian. So once we incorporated that, we came up with a plan and we came up with a, an outline in terms of, you know, when when we were going to get certain components done. And then we took the old paper and basically created an outline and, and then broke that up by topics. We, as, as uh, Dr. Statuta mentioned, we, we had a couple of Zoom calls where we just sort of introduced the topic and the timeline and then had people sort of you know, decide what what they were comfortable, what they would like to write on, Hmm. and we broke it up, and and then we continued to work through, you know, writing, and uh, I think, you know, it was a process of um, working together and and a lot of of Zoom calls as it relates to collaborating and bringing things together, and Mm -hmm. some of our members are a little better at being able to, you know, get the Google Docs and share those things and move that ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, tell me about uh, what sections you worked on, Dr. Ceduta. So
2: I worked on um, more of the clinical aspects. So I did the physical exam and I did a little bit of epidemiology and a little bit on the application of treatment, what to consider clinically. And as you know, there's there's not much to do. There's not a window of time where we need to initiate this medicine immediately because we have this beautiful sweet spot that we don't sure. want to miss but you know there are certain circumstances and there have been there's been talk in the past is there a role for antivirals what are we going to do about vaccines and so I worked on that a little bit as well yeah yeah it was fun
0: was there parts of the old statement that you thought this is too vague or or this is you know maybe it's too rigid and it needs to be less bar- was there parts that you felt that, like that was the, the, the driving force for updating this that you felt?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I've said is that the mono and the management and the presentation and the findings hasn't really changed a lot. And unfortunately there's not a lot of additional research, right, that's helped us as it relates to some of the some of the questions that remain. But I think the biggest difference is the way that we as team physicians I think are approaching return to play Mm -hmm. and those decisions and you know, now we have to think about shared decision-making. And it's really uncomfortable for a lot of docs, right, because you know, I, I joke that one of my one of my mentors says, you know, his, his idea of shared decision-making is walking into the room and telling the patient, this is what we're doing. Yeah, sharing <laughs> sharing, the, sharing, sharing, it, sharing the their decision. decision. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, mono is a great example of where it's a little bit uncomfortable for us to sort of say, well, we think that you shouldn't participate in contact sports for – You know three three four weeks because because there's a risk of splenic rupture right Right. no matter what we know that all spleens get big yeah and we know that they if they rupture they typically rupture in that time frame but you know how do you then sit down with your athlete that may be at that you know really mild case and really wants to participate and And you know putting every putting everything into perspective and um, providing what you know about what's the likelihood of, of uh, something bad happening mm-hmm. um, what's their particular risk um, how they're doing clinically um, but then figure it out what's their risk tolerance and and then what you, what's your risk tolerance as Ooh. a physician mm-hmm. and what it may not just be you right it may also be the the school that you work for mm-hmm. and or the, the the you know the professional league that you're in that may say you know what <laughs> We're not taking risks, yeah. right? So I think that's the biggest difference this this go around as it relates to this, you know, the nuances of this sure. paper.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's less of a rigid set. Three weeks off, you know, and if somebody, the, the interesting, the fascinating thing about mono is that there are no two identical cases. Right. And and so if you have the milder side, think of how many people have gone through life having had mono at some point, but never, ever realized it, knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. and just yeah. sucked it up for a couple of days and yeah. got better. Right. Um, and, and yet we, we see a mild case, maybe due to a contact, we test them and now, yeah. now they're, they've got that red M, you know, yeah. they're badged with that. And do we hold them out for three full weeks? Yeah. Sure. yeah. And, and there's so much to consider too, because yeah. it is physical health, but it's also, what are we doing by holding this person out from, right you know that that right. that creates a lot of psychological stress, yeah. social stress. Right. So yeah.
1: And there's not a lot of data, you know, I think that's right. the other thing that we know is that, you know, it, it the, it's analogous to other other injuries where we we don't know the role of exercise and whether it's, you know, harmful. Why, why is it harmful? Yeah.
0: You know? Like, yeah.
1: so there there's probably a, a lot of folks, myself included, that would feel pretty comfortable if someone's got a very mild case. You know, once they feel comfortable doing activities of mm-hmm. daily life, going for a brisk walk, you know, as long as they know what the risks are, right? Right. And then, so a lot of that, I think, is are, are the nuances of, of, of taking care of, of an athlete that's got mono.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things I struggled with as a clinician, being you know, we're talking about activity and we're learning about, you know, returning people sooner with their concussions. And then if someone gets mono, it's like locked, mm-hmm. can't do anything. Yeah. yeah. And so that was always hard how do you do you you still go off the clinical you know story figure out what their symptoms are or you know because some of the people we see are like I feel good enough to exercise because they always think that they feel good enough to do that so what do you do with that
2: I look at the individual in front of me yeah Um, I think that's one of the beautiful aspects of getting to know your athletes and understanding them relying on your athletic trainers um, if you're lucky enough to have to, to work in that setting because you have eyes ears you have data coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so no matter what they say, you can also make your own clinical judgment. So there is, I do still rely, I mean, I rely on the, the physical exam. Sure. I rely on what do the, eye, what are the eyes telling me? What's the throat telling me? Sure. What's, you know, I'll throw in a couple of questions, um, you know, what's, what's your energy level like? But right. I think the days of pulling the cal the paper calendar off the wall and counting 21 days, that to me is over. Yeah. Um, as a fellow I felt comfort in having an algorithm that I could yeah, memorize I mean I, I hung my hat on that mm-hmm. um but as as you start seeing I just you recently had a golfer who had mono and and she was symptomatic only for a few days and and we let her go back she was playing she was working on her putts yeah all, a lot of a lot of time and we eventually built her back up to be able yeah. to to do drives and then eventually walk the course that was our our progression mm-hmm. so it was yeah it's it's releasing she was great i re- i also trusted her feedback right um but then again you know sometimes i won't trust the other
0: yeah.
2: individual and i'll i'll be a little bit on the more conservative side
0: yeah yeah so that's the heart that's what one of the things i wondered is does that mean we have to see these athletes more often, or we have to just have a be, uh, just make sure you have a good communication structure? You know, do we do we need to get an ultrasound of the of the spleen? Is there uh, you know tell me more about yeah. how we think about those things?
1: Well, it's interesting because I do think that um, one of the things that we said in the previous statement that we said again is that you know for for the majority of. Situations you really don't need to get a ultra, you know ultrasound or okay. anything like that to sort out the size of the spleen. You know I think we we talk a, a lot in, in this statement about you know if you're worried about splenic rupture, if you're worried about that complication, mm-hmm. you're not going to get an ultrasound. Yeah. You're going to get a CAT scan, right? Okay. That's going to be the better better test for that for that reasoning. Um, and you know where we did talk about the use of ultrasound is. Um, we know that all spleens get big, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're just not able to, we're not able as clinicians sometimes to see it or feel it, um, yeah. or feel it but um, nonetheless, they all get big. And still, there is the recommendation that, you know, you want to be cautious. And with the, the concern of splenic rupture in that, you know, first three to four weeks, Yeah. then if you're going to use ultrasound to sort of maybe allow someone to come back in a little bit earlier, Maybe that's where it's u- u- useful because hmm. you could you can you can obtain it and then you can you can do a serial you know, ultrasound. You can follow, you can it. follow okay. it. So that, that that's kind of the role I think of, of imaging as, as we talked about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. Because you know if you if you can document that the splint's getting smaller, right? And you know as along with the rest of their mm-hmm. clinical picture, it gives you a little more comfort. You know probably as a as a clinician to sort of say, yeah, I think it's reasonable. You know, your spleen size is coming down, and there's still risk. You know, and I think it's just being honest with, you know, as, as uh, Siobhan said, just being honest with your patient and what the risks are. Yeah. And, you know, that helps you make a good decision.
2: And I think, too, it's, um, it's one of the important updates is to understand that a lot of the data that was collected as to what a normal spleen size was was based on, Caucasians, mm-hmm. and now we're we, we can't apply that to all individuals, sure. And So, you know, just taking a single measurement and looking up a chart, you can't do that,
0: yeah. yeah so, it makes so a lot of sense. The
2: serial, the serial ultrasounds, yeah, would be where it would
0: okay. be. Okay, the other thing I read in here, which was kind of interesting, I thought, was we cut, kind of, we talked about the role of exercise a little bit, but it almost suggested like exercise as a, as maybe a benefit for people as they're healing, you know, depending on when they started. Tell me more about that.
1: Well, there's not a lot of data. So okay. I mean, I think that's the issue, right? Okay. So and you know, we always think that oh, you have to really you know, you, you can't exercise. Don't do anything. Yeah. And and that's dogma, you know, yeah. I think unfortunately. So I think we're learning, you know, you you mentioned concussion, that <laughs> look how much we've learned there. Yeah. You know, it's flipped, right? Now now we're even going to be saying in the upcoming statements, you know, Early, it's maybe within tw- th- the first day. Yeah. You know, if someone's right. feeling good, depending on yeah. their, what their story, you know, is, the, right. what their story is, we know exercise is good. Right. Right. So I think we may see that here, but you know, it depends on the patient, right? Sure. A lot of folks with mono are really sick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're really sick. Yeah. They don't feel good. No. They don't want to do anything, yeah. right? So. In those situations, you're not gonna say, hey, yeah. it's really important that, that you exercise, do. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of it is just being responsive to clinically what they what they present with, just as yeah, you know, If
0: they're really know. fatigued, you know, it could, it could extend and push yes. out their right. recovery. Right, yes.
1: so we don't, yeah, and we don't really know the role of exercise or yeah. how it affects mono per se, um, so I think that it's always safe, and not just mono, but most things in medicine, um, is to really individualize the care. And also be very
2: clear with how you phrase it to the athlete, right? You say, yes, you can exercise, and then follow that up with limitations. This is very light exercise. Let's be clear. It's not a situation of... So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> let's get the body moving. Let's let let the body yeah. do what it naturally wants to do. Right. But no, don't go run 10 miles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And don't be in a, in a safe environment. You yes. Know, and, and, and again, it's just a matter of explaining what the risks are. Yeah. And so, you know, if they're going to do something, it's like, yeah, that's probably good. But you want to make sure that you're not, right. you know, going out on, on a on a path where there's nobody around or you don't have cell service. Right. Totally.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And once it's released, we'll attach it at the bottom of this podcast. So if you're listening later, it'll be in the show notes. Excellent. Any last thoughts or you know tidbits of wisdom about writing a position statement or no? It's about fantastic.
1: Mona? I mean, it was a it's a great process. I I always I really enjoy um, writing, and so this is a great example of being really careful with with words and and how things are phrased and. Uh, so it was a pleasure to sort of have this working group. Everyone really um, participated. We didn't have any slackers. Yeah. Uh, so that part was extremely beneficial. If you're part of a writing group, it's, it's really important that you pull your weight, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think this one, everybody really participated. Uh, we had really good calls, and we were able, you know, we, we went over, we went a little late a couple times, <laughs> but um, for the most part, it actually was a... From my standpoint, it was a smooth process. I don't know what uh, Siobhan. This was my would first, say. so yeah, it was perfect. It was as good <laughs> yeah, as I've ever yeah, done. Yeah, I know.
2: It's, it's the best one ever. <laughs> it was right? the gold standard. That's great. <laughs> I think that if our listening audience can get involved in something like this, it is a it's a wonderful opportunity not only um learning the material and reading reading of course that that was fun and educational um no matter how many times you read something you always pick something else Mm -hmm. up but I think what I enjoyed most was getting to know members that I see at the annual conference just once a year or the the meeting and but actually being able to work work one-on-one with Mm -hmm. them and develop relationships it's I mean our our membership is full of fantastic people and it's just another way that we can reach out link up and and it's cool that's a great point
1: because you know we did we did pair i did purposely sort of paired people Mm -hmm. and said you know Mm -hmm. you two are going to have this topic you two are going to have this topic and and then they kind of went off on their own and and created the 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 language and the and the words and you know we use the old uh statement but i think a lot of the (laughs) a lot of new words yeah there's a a lot of a lot of new information that we were able to we kept we kept a couple a ands or thes and (laughs) (laughs) and changed the rest (laughs) moved around (laughs) a lot of other stuff Yeah, exactly yeah so the only person that really was uh on our own was um our the radiologist sure but um, she actually she wasn't right. She did that yeah. with Calvin. Yeah, yeah. So anyway it was they were great. Yeah, yeah. It it Very was cool. a it was a yeah. great you know opportunity and Siobhan's you know spot spot on. There are people that are you know their their skill set. And when we were on the phone talking, it was it was like oh I saw this patient or I saw this patient or you know yep. some of the folks on the, on the writing group had a lot of experience with you know doing looking at lab abnormalities and. You know, Jillian had just published, um, you know, one of the one of the great review articles that we looked at was a study that she had done. Nice. You know, so it was it was super to be able to lean on the, the authors and get them a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for coming in uh, and talking to us today. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to learn with me. I look forward to having you back for the next edition of the AMSSM Sports MedCast.